Hey, good morning. Wow, it is great to see you folks. Thank you all so much for being here today. Uh, we are in the Lord's uh, house, gathered together as His church, and it's always just a privilege to do that. Uh, this is a special, special weekend in the uh, life of our country. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend, and that's where a lot of our empty seats, we believe, they they are uh, celebrating Memorial Day weekend, we believe that, all right? And so we also want to celebrate, and we want to uh, first do two things, if you don't mind. First, we'd like to ask you, if we have any members uh, of the, any of the branches of the armed forces that are here with us today, you have previously been or you are currently a member of the armed forces, would you mind standing just briefly so that we could see you and recognize you? Thank you so much. Wow, all over the place. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Wonderful. We appreciate you and the thing that we like to do at this point, if you don't mind. I'd like to lead us in prayer, but before we do that, uh, sometimes we just get into a rush. You know, we're just kind of really rushing through to do things. And what we like to do, Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day, we like to pause. And instead of just adding this as part of our activity and flowing through, can I invite you, would you join with me? And we just want to have a moment of silence. And if you don't mind, I know parents, you've got kids all around you there. If you just kind of hold on to them just for a second, all right? When we start to preach, they can get up and do those things that they do. If they need to do that. But right here, we like to ask if everyone could just find a still spot. And we want to find a quiet space. And we want to invite you in this moment, if you would just contemplate with me. And if you want to offer it up as a prayer to God, you're free, of course, to do that. Just contemplate the price that's been paid here in America for us to be able to gather publicly, freely, without any fear of reprisal whatsoever, but we can join together as God's church publicly and we can worship. That's not a freedom that a lot of countries have, but we have it here. And that's been purchased for us. Some people have given time. Some people definitely have given sweat and tears. Some have given blood and some have even paid the ultimate price. So would you remember them with me for a moment? And then at the end of just a moment of silence, I want to lead us in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you recognizing today that we are gathered in your presence and it's for your purposes. We want to just lift you high. We want to love on you. Uh, we want to celebrate you together. We want to be able to edify and encourage one another. And Lord, uh, all of these are things that uh, you've placed us here today in this country where we can do these things freely. Lord, thank you so much. We want to say thank you to those men and women who are currently serving and they're working so diligently to be prepared to be in service for people that they never will meet. But they are preparing and serving faithfully. Thank you for those men and women. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who have served, especially those who are here with us today. We recognize them. We celebrate them. Thank you for their sacrifice. Lord, thank you for those that have gone before them and have sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed and Lord, not even knowing us, not even knowing about this moment, they gave freely so that we could gather together and be free. Lord, we want to say thank you for how you've worked. And all these things are part of your divine plan. You've worked to bring us here together today at this moment. And we pray that we would hear clearly from your word as we gather. And the word is proclaimed. Would you use me as a tool, a vessel for you? Lord, as your word is proclaimed, that it would touch our hearts. And Lord, it's these things we pray and we ask in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. Uh, you hopefully have a bulletin in front of you. hope you got one when you came in this morning. There's actually two inserts I want to make you aware of. Uh, the green sheet, the bright green sheet, remember that we're preparing for deacon nomination. And when we say preparing, that means that we are intentionally getting together with God. We're preparing our hearts and allowing him to prepare our hearts so you see there's some uh, instructions there on that green sheet just as you prepare over the next couple of weeks one of the main things we ask you to do as you're praying and considering the qualifications of a deacon understand this as plainly as i can put it uh, the character of a man will influence the character of a church 
character of a man will influence the character of a church. And as we look in 1 Timothy 3, what we see here is this, is that Paul is not instructing Timothy to go and find somebody. He's sending him on an intentional search for a specific item. He's sending him looking for men of character. And so I pray, and I ask that you would pray with me, that you would contemplate that text, that you would look at that. And as you consider that, uh, one of the steps that we've added there this year so that you would help us as we just do diligent work, we want to be efficient in how we proceed in identifying the men God has called to be deacons here. We'd like to ask if you feel like God has impressed someone upon you, that you would personally approach them before you nominate them, that you would approach them and you'd say, hey, I just I see God working in your life. I see God using you in Friendship Baptist Church. And I want to know, would you be all right if I nominated you? What that does for us, folks, very simply, is it saves a lot of time for us after the nominations. If we wait and then contact men who did not want to serve, we're, we're kind of spinning our wheels there. And so if you feel led to, towards a specific individual, make sure that you approach that individual and ask them, hey, would you consider this, this, this great, honor of being nominated to be one of our deacons we appreciate you doing that the white sheet of paper is just a word of appreciation from me and my family we want to say thank you we were away last week uh, doing graduation down at new orleans and everything went exceptionally well we just saw the hand of god on that uh, we were there in new orleans and you know one of the worst things that can happen in the middle of the day in new orleans is for it to rain with the sun out right that just makes you want to want to hurt yourself and so uh, we were there, and uh, we we gotten through graduation, and, and we had, uh, they, they, they asked us to wear the, the, the suit underneath, the shirt and the tie and all that stuff, and then they put the gown on, and they put a, the hood over the gown, right? And so I had on about 20, 30 layers of clothing there, all right? And then um, we, we made it through, marched in, everything went great, great celebration there. It was only two hours and six minutes long. That was wonderful. And, um, and then as we marched out, that's when it rained as we were going to gather in the front yard there for the pictures. Yeah, that's when it was raining in New Orleans. And so uh, don't worry, it just rained long enough to make it extremely humid. And then it stopped, so the Lord blessed us, all right? So we had, had a great time. I want to say thank you to the church for supporting us in this. I want to say thank you to the church for the, for the very generous graduation gift. Uh, Cole and Porkchop took care of that and uh, getting a laptop for me this past week and um, and I have no idea how to use it, all right? So uh, we're working on that as well. Uh, one of the first things I'd like to officially do before we get into the text of Ecclesiastes 2 is, is just make a request. Uh, if you don't mind, and I do appreciate so much, I can, can't put into words how much I appreciate Friendship Baptist Church. If you don't mind, as we move forward together, um, if you wouldn't mind calling me either Casey or Brother Casey, that would do me an extreme honor. That would be my request to you. Uh, I thank you so much for uh, just recognizing the title that, that we've uh, achieved, uh, the title that we've earned there. But uh, just for the sake of comfort uh, and mine more than yours, if you would just, if you wouldn't mind, if you call me Casey or Brother Casey, I sure would appreciate that, unless you're introducing me to somebody really important. Now, hey, then, let's, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I would say to you, thank you so much, um, and I, I hope that what this does is this, um, uh, th this point in my life, uh, I'm humbled by just uh, how great God is and how, how big he's been in my life. And uh, so I want to continue to walk with him, uh, understanding that I am nothing apart from his generous grace and hand in my life. So thank you folks so much. If you would take your Bibles and let's look in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're preaching through Ecclesiastes. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here today. I uh, just want to welcome you. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I like to do uh, first, I like to read the text. All right, and then here's the number one rule for today. All right, as we go through Ecclesiastes, especially as I'm reading the text, please no one leave and go home. All right, Ecclesiastes is an extremely unique book. When you're when you're reading in the Bible, a lot of people will say, "Hey." When I read the Bible, it just doesn't really connect with my life in any kind of way. I really just don't get the Bible because it doesn't speak to me where I am. Ecclesiastes, can I prepare you, is about to speak to you where you are. And Ecclesiastes is a book that is so unique that uh, it's going to paint a very real picture of life, is what we've already seen. And as it paints that real picture of life, we don't want to just see a portion of Scripture and say, hey, there's a devotional idea. We're not looking for a devotional today. We want to hear the Word of God. And so I invite you to join with me, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 
I like to begin reading from verse 12, and I like to read verse uh, 12 all the way to 26. That's the passage that we're going to attempt to cover today before supper. All right? Yeah, amen. All right? I'd like to ask you, as you're finding that, people are still turning there, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12 is where I'll begin. And I'd like to ask you to repeat something with me. And here's the idea for today. Life is a gift from God. Would you mind saying that with me? Life is a gift from God. Now, as we think about that, I found in my life this week, studying this text, reflecting on this text, my emphasis there is usually on life. But the actual context here of Ecclesiastes will tell us the emphasis, the way our thinking should be geared and designed is that what we have, the breath that's in your lungs, is not something that you've earned or deserve. And therefore, everything that's around you, every person that's around you, everything that you touch and taste and see and feel, all these things, it's an expression of God towards you. It's an expression of God towards you. And as you think about this one, one simple statement, life is a gift from God. I know, I've been there before. There are many who would say, you just don't know my life. And can I tell you, what I want to ask you to consider from Ecclesiastes today is very simply this. I want you to know my God. I want you to know my God. If our focus is just on how life is going, there are days when it won't be going well. Amen? But if your focus could be shifted to see the giver, who God is, He never changes. He is abundant in grace and mercy and provision. He never stops loving he never stops caring. He never stops giving. He never stops providing. He never stops working. If our focus could shift from just here's today, here's my life, here's my career, here's my marriage, here's what I'm doing with my time, if we could get out of that, folks, and see God, I want to tell you what will happen. It will save our marriages. It will save our careers. It'll save our pursuits. It'll save our relationships. Life is a gift from God. Hopefully you found verse 12. Verse 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 12. The preacher writes, he says, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. As there is more gain in light than in darkness, the wise person has his eyes in, in his head. I love that expression. But the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them, the, the wise and the fool. The same event happens to all of them. Verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. Now, hear it. Verse 17, So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and it's a striving after wind. I hated all my toil, y'all ever hate work? I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or, or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. <laughs> this also is vanity, and he adds here, and a great evil. 
What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. By the way, one of the major themes in Ecclesiastes is everything's vanity. Verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. I feel like we should pray again, don't you? Here, here's the idea, all right? As you're looking in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, this is, we've said, this is a man of resource. In other words, he wants to explore a question. He wants to say, hey, let me figure out what all of life is about. Let me find the core meaning, motivation, the whole purpose of life. And he has resource. So we saw, hopefully you saw last week with Brother James Underwood, that you see a man who starts to explore using all the resources available to him. So he has avenue to multiple sexual partners. He has avenue to multiple bank account. He has avenue to multiple feast. Amen. I like that part. So he has resources here where he can explore these things. Here's what he is concluding as he's coming through chapter 2. Here's what he's found. Just picking up the text, here's what it says. You ready? There's actually three realities that he touches on. And this is really, it's going to, hey, if you want to connect with real life and what the Bible says, here's the reality check. You ready? One, he says this, everyone dies. That's what he's discovered. He said, I've been looking at life, trying to find a big purpose, and here's what I found, that at the end of the day, no matter what you do with your day, no matter how you live your life, no matter what happens, you're going to die. Yeah, I know, right? It's a hallmark moment. You are going to die. You say, well, what if I'm a really good person? Thank you so much for being a really good person. You're going to die. What if I'm a really bad person? Hey, congratulations. You got to do some really bad stuff, and there is going to come a day when you're going to die. Everyone is going to die. He said, that's what I've discovered. He said, man, you really, you really should have been on a different journey, it seems like. He finds everybody's going to die. Second, he says this, I've discovered that once you die, and this is true not just for a few people, but this is ultimately true for everyone, everyone will be forgotten. He said, well, what if I really achieve a lot of things then you will die and after you achieving a lot of things with your life then there will be people who will come behind you and they will set what you have achieved as a goal to be conquered and you know what you'll do about it nothing you'll be dead this is the reality of what the preacher finds about life we're all going to die and then we're all going to be forgotten so the big question that's starting to resound here should be pumping in our heads and in our hearts is this, what in the world are we doing here? Wait, he's not finished. So what he says here is this, and this is a part that's, that's new for us. Now, if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you would see he's already said this, all right? That's what's amazing about you guys even coming back after saying this once. He's already said in chapter 1, everybody's going to die. And he's already said, already said in chapter 1 that once you die, you're going to be forgotten. But now here we're getting into brand new content. You ready? And it's going to be positive. Ready? He says that once you die and before you're forgotten or as you're being forgotten technically, then here's what's going to happen. Every success that you have ever had will be surrendered to someone else. Everything that you've ever accomplished now is going to be in the hands of someone else. And so Wednesday, I think about this, Wednesday, I finished up at TCPS, I finished up teaching, I finished up my final exam, boy, those guys were excited to come up there on Wednesday morning, but they, they came up there, and here's what I understand, when I surrender that position, and I say, hey, okay, last test was turned in, it's all been graded, send, click, whatever process, wherever that is, now I'm done with it, here's the idea, they're going to replace me, can you imagine the arrogance? like they could they're going to replace me 
And you know who they're going to replace me with? Me neither. I mean, I, and I, I did find it a little bit, little bit awkward that people were so bright-eyed when they asked me that question. Who do you think they'll replace you with? I don't know what that was about. But the idea becomes this. They could replace me with someone who is an absolute loser. And you know what I'll do about it? Nothing. It'll be outside of my control. You know, there'll come a day, I was thinking about this. I spent some time in my yard this past year. I spent some time in my yard. We've got those stumps, which I don't know how you feel about stumps. My wife, and I'm just curious real quick, ladies. My wife says that having stumps, you know, where trees were cut in the front yard, she said that's a southern thing, and that looks, that, that looks okay. A lot of people have that. How many of y'all feel like the stumps look good? I mean, this is, hey, marriage saving right here. How many of y'all feel like the stumps in the front yard need to go? Need to go. Come on, it makes a big difference. Joe, come on over, Joey. You know what's happening, all right? Yeah? Y'all always take Tina's side. The idea is this. You know that if I work in my yard and I mow my yard and I get all the weeds out of my yard, I get all the shrubs trimmed in my yard, I get everything looking good, I get all those stumps removed from my yard. Do you know that if I sell that house, and I'll sell that house one day, you know why? I mean, eventually I'm going to die. So I'm going to have to relinquish that house. Do you know that the next guy that comes in after me, Jason, could plant trees where those stumps were? You realize that? See, no matter what I accomplish, no matter what success I have, no matter what I achieve, when I die, I will lose control of that. When I leave something, I will lose control over that. And then whoever comes in after me, and this is what the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, if you caught this, the one who comes after me, the word he uses, could be a fool. Could be a fool. So anything that I achieve, any success that I have, at best, what's going to happen is it's going to be forgotten and then surrendered to somebody who very likely could be an absolute fool. This is the reality of life. And I think that the reason, by the way, that the preacher is writing these things down for you and the reason that we don't like to hear these things is because we've sold ourselves on some kind of biblical concept that doesn't really connect with reality. Here's the idea. What you're pouring yourself into, you're going to lose it. Think about that. It's a reality check for us. What you're pouring yourself into you won't get to keep forever. So, well, I built this company from the ground up. And then what happened? And then what happened? Well, the next people I handed off to are going to be capable. Really? What about the next people, though? Or the next people? You see, there's a very real picture here from the Bible. And it tells us this. Be careful that you're not pursuing with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, something that you're going to forsake into the hands of a fool. That would cause certain emotions to well up inside of us. So here are the emotions. Look in verse 17. There's actually three emotions or three responses to reality that I see. Verse 17, he says this, and and we're uncomfortable with this. This is, I hope, not your favorite memory verse. But in verse 17, he says, and I hated life. That's the emotion of anger. Why is he angry? He's realizing that no matter what he does, there's an end for him. He's realizing that at that end, everything he's accomplished on earth will be forgotten about. And people are like, who is that guy? who used to be pastor at Friendship. Who was, what was his name? He realizes that that's coming for him, and he realizes that he will hand over everything he's worked so hard to build into possibly the hands of a fool. That prompts inside of him anger. No, this can't be. The second thing that it says here is this. It says in verse 20, it says that there is despair. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, listen. You hear this part of the sermon, and you try to go to work tomorrow, can I tell you, 
You're like, well, what's up? Well, I might as well take tomorrow off. Y'all go ahead and take tomorrow off. It'd be great. Here's the idea. Work's waiting for us. We're not going to escape life. He's not trying to give us some kind of secret message of just, just quit work, move to the beach. Listen, if that worked, we'd all be at the beach. Except for me, I'd be in the mountains. That's just me. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So here's the idea. What we find. He says that this is going to produce inside of us when you really just look under the sun and what we're doing from a day-to-day basis and the way that the world around us is saying, live this way, operate this way. Earn a dollar, spend a dollar. Earn a dollar, spend two dollars. Earn a dollar, spend three dollars. Earn a dollar, spend a dollar. That's, That's the best that life has to offer us. That's all this world can do for us. That's it. He says there's anger, there's despair. And I caught this one. I don't know if you saw this. This is verse 23. He says, even in the night, his heart does not rest. So this third emotion is, if you really start to think about what we're doing under the sun, what we're filling up our days with, we just keep mowing that yard, that grass keeps growing, mowing that yard, that grass keeps growing, mowing that yard, that grass keeps growing. Here's the idea. We keep you awake at night that's all you're living for if that's all you're living for buying and spending and working 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 he says i've got anger i've got despair and get get this i can't sleep at night because i'm worried about things that i'm going to die and leave i'm worried about things that i'm going to relinquish to someone else i'm worried about things that are going to be ultimately forgotten if you owned a boat or if you owned a special vehicle all that stuff's going to rust and fade and disappear. And you know what it's done to us? If that's our focus, it's emotionally killing you. It's emotionally killing you. Now, you say, well, Pastor, your time's about up. Great. Bear with me just another minute. We've gone through chapter 1. And we've gone through all the way from chapter 1, that's 18 verses. We get all the way here through the 23 verses in chapter 2. And all of that, can I tell you, it's very real, it's truthful, it's hardcore honest, and a little unsettling for us. But now in 2.24, we get to what I would say is the first very positive verse in Ecclesiastes. Had to get through a chapter and a half to get to a positive verse. So... Here's the positive idea. You ready? Verse 24 is a positive twist on what we've created here today, right? It's death, remember? Forgottenness, and oh yeah, surrendering that to someone else. Here's the good news. Verse 24. Read this with me again. It says, There's nothing better for a person that he should eat. And just move that period right there, baby. I don't know the hey, I don't know the original Hebrew, but I'm pretty sure that's what it says right there. It says there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Can you hear that? There's nothing better for a person than that he should. Y'all, y'all, y'all taking vacation? Eat. Yeah? And then he says this. And drink. Saying, is this a Baptist church? What? Drink. And then he says, wait a second, and find enjoyment in his toil or his work. Now, what's better than that? Preacher says, nothing. Nothing. You know what's going to happen? You're going to die, you're going to be forgotten, and you're going to surrender all of your successes over to someone else. So how do you live life today? What needs to happen so you can live life today? He says there's nothing better than this right here. The best solution, dude with resource like you'll never have. He says here is the best you can possibly do. Eat. (laughs) Drink. And find enjoyment in the work that's in front of you. How do we do that? He goes on, verse 24, says this also I saw is from the hand of God. Let me show you three things here. 
three things quickly, all right? We've got the three things here. You with me? It says everyone's going to die, right? And then everybody's going to be forgotten. I oh, got that. That's two. And then number three, we said this. It says that everyone is going to surrender your successes. We said that's three emotions then, right? It's going to be a nine-part sermon. You ready? So that produces inside of us anger. Uh-huh. Yeah? We've got that anger stuff going on. And then it's going to tell us this, is that we've got that despair stuff going on, right? We've got these bad feelings going on. We're, we're, we're now sleepless, restless. So let's get to the good news. The good news of life looks something like this. I've been living wrong because my focus has been on the wrong thing. And my focus on the wrong thing has led me to despair and anger and frustration. You see, I've been focusing on the circumstances and situations of life itself. And life just can't, in and of itself, give us everything that we want. Let me tell you real quick about your job. Your job cannot deliver you from the facts that you're going to die and be forgotten and hand it all over. Your job, at best, can only produce for you, by itself, sorrow. Because if you focus on your job, you'll want your job to fulfill you. Your job can't do that. Your job can't do that. Let me tell you what's going on, I'm afraid, in many marriages. Many marriages in the church, what we're seeing is this. We have spouses who keep looking at their spouse, and they keep forgetting that their spouse is a sinner. And what's good about that sinner, the only good thing about that sinner is that sinner somehow mustered enough grace and mercy and ability to marry a bigger sinner than they are. That's it. And in your marriage, what the preacher is trying to communicate to us is this. If the focus is on your spouse becoming one who fulfills you completely, Jerry Maguire, then the idea here is this. Your sinful spouse is going... Only like six of y'all got the Jerry Maguire reference, by the way, which is embarrassing. Your spouse cannot be more in your life enough to fulfill this longing that you have. You say, well, I'll just find me another spouse. I'll find me another woman. No, 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 no. Your focus is on the wrong thing. Your focus can't be, let me quit my job and find a better job. Let me quit my marriage and find a better marriage. Let me get rid of these kids. Can't be there. We're zoned in on trying to live our best life. Now, I didn't mean to say that. That was improper. I shouldn't have done that. Our focus is on trying to make life fulfill us. Life doesn't do that. Life doesn't do that. Life is a gift from God. So here's three things. Let me show you these. How do we get the best life? Here's what has to happen. One. One, he talks about this in 24. He says that we must practice contentment we must practice contentment so the idea of practicing contentment looks something like this folks when we are practicing contentment that means we're not looking at the things that we have because as long as we're looking at the things that we have what do we what do we tend to do i wish i had a little bit more right wish i had a little bit more well i, I was eating that cheesecake and then somehow the whole cheesecake disappeared so now what do i want a little bit more cheesecake we're constantly craving more and more and more. Contentment is this idea of seeing what you have and realizing if you weren't alive, you wouldn't have that. I know that got deep fast, right? If you were dead, you would not have the very simple, meager things that you have. So what he says here is this, the actual 
interpretation of verse 24, if you'll see it, is this. There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink. Let's just focus on that just for a second. What do we eat and drink that brings us enjoyment? Nothing. What we do is this. Since I'm alive, I eat. Sometimes whatever's in front of me. But since I'm alive, I enjoy eating. Do you know that scientifically speaking, I don't know about science, let's talk about spiritually speaking, there is no justification for your taste buds. There's no justification for it. Why do you have taste buds? Because God put life inside of you, and God, who is the giver of all things good, said, I want to have my creation, the climax of my creation, I want to give them taste buds. You see, why do we eat food? Not you. Why do we eat food? Somebody tell me. Why do we eat food? We eat food because food keeps us, don't say fit. Who's going to say fit? Food keeps us alive. So try that this week. Let's see how that goes. Don't eat because of your taste buds. Eat because of survival. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You see, what we do is this. God has given you life. And he said to you, enjoy being alive. Church, the most powerful message from Ecclesiastes is right here. We've got to stop living the Christian life like it's dreadful. Because it's not attractive when it's dreadful, by the way. Yes, I'll go to church Please invite more people with a disgruntled attitude with you. Here's the concept. I'm alive. And the instruction from Scripture that I'm about to put into play here in just a few minutes is I'm going to eat and drink. And I'm going to eat and drink. It might not be gourmet. It might not be something i got to stick my pinky out for. It might be, where's Cole? It might be that bologna, 98 cents a pack, that I chopped up. Slap a little mustard on both sides. That's what I was told to do. All right, y'all don't know how y'all fry bologna. But I slap a little mustard on both sides, get my grill hot, put it there till it chars that mustard black. Cole's closer to heaven. He just, he said, come on, take me, Jesus. Right? Here's the idea. Quit looking at food and drink to satisfy you spiritually. It'll never do it. But if you can realize this, if I wake up tomorrow morning, it's a gift from God. If I wake up tomorrow morning, it's a gift from God. And anything that He puts in front of me, I want to do recognizing that that's a gift. And I want to learn to be content. Is it easy? No. No. I learn to be content. So here's how you practice contentment. You ready? This week, hey, this is very practical. You ready? I want you to jot some things down. You set? Here we go. Every time you spend, say a thank you prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for this gasoline that keeps burning up and dissipating, apparently with the sunshine. But thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gasoline. Every time you eat something, say thank you. Now, we get into this argument. Well, should we pray when we have our meal? Um, if you created the food and provided it for, for yourself without any help from God, don't thank him for it. If he provided it for you, provided a job for you to purchase it, gave you an opportunity to have taste buds to taste it, go ahead and say thank you. This week I want to ask you to do something a little different. To find contentment, I want you to pray after your meal. I said, what now? I want you to pray after your meal. Oh, Jesus, thank you. You provided this food for us so that we would have life and enjoyment from the life that you've given us. It's called putting a twist on the junk the world's selling. I'm alive. Second thing here is this. He says, find joy in the giver. He says in verse 25, for, uh, excuse me, verse 24, this also I saw as a hand from God. The concept for us, church, is this. We've got to stop trying to find joy in the things and start trying to find joy in the giver. 
You have an opportunity because of Jesus Christ to have a relationship with God. We use that terminology a lot in the Southern Baptist Church. You have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. By the power of Jesus Christ, he has made it accessible for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you so you can have a relationship with God. Can I ask you, what does a relationship with God look like? It is not simply sealed for eternity, even though that's true. But a relationship is something that's living and active inside of me now, today. Find joy in the relationship that you have with God. So those thank you prayers should prompt you every time you spend, every time you taste something, every time you accomplish something this week, you say, thank you, Jesus. That should draw us back to the recognition that you are nothing. I am nothing And God is just pouring these things out into my life so that everything would draw me closer to Him. Everything would remind me of Him. Everything would allow me to be closer in relationship with God. God, if i got baloney, you're my God. God, if I've got hospital stay, you're my God. God, if i got surgery, you're my God. God, if I've got accident, you're my God. God, if I've got trouble, you're my God. You see? This is how the world doesn't overcome us, but in Christ we overcome the world. We find joy in the giver. And quit looking for joy in the gift. My mama, y'all don't record this part. My mama, I remember when I was a preteen, it's a difficult place to be, by the way. When I was a preteen, y'all remember Star Trek? If y'all didn't get Jerry Maguire, just go back to sleep. Star Trek, right? You remember Chris Pine? Shut up. Star Trek, right? My mama, when I was a preteen, pork chop, she bought me, it was a teal color, teal, teal sweater. And it had a little flap right here that Velcroed that you could peel it down and it could show a black sewn-in undershirt, hot as blue blazes right? Ugly as sin, right? Made my mama so happy. Oh, put it on. I don't want to. Put it on. She, you know, you're going to school. What about your Star Trek sweater? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That thing, y'all ever seen a magnet before, right? That thing, when I wore that to school, it attracted bullies, and repel girls. It was, it was the same time. It was a miracle. And it made my mama happy to give that to me. It made my mama happy for me to wear that. It made my mama happy. And here's the idea. This week, this is what Paul writes in church in Philippi. He says this, find out what pleases God. He said, well, I'm trying to find happiness in my life. Would you stop? Because you're going to die. I'm trying to find happiness in my God. Explore that this week. Last thing here is this. It says joy. It says that we live for the giver. So he tells us this. This is verse 25. It says, uh, for apart from this, who can eat uh, or who can have enjoyment? Apart from God. How do we do that? Verse 26. For to one who pleases him, God has given wisdom. That is the practice of from mistakes. Identify this week, church, some kind of level in your life where you say, I know not to do that. Every time you come to a stop sign, maybe you say, I know not to roll through that stop sign. That's wisdom applied. He says, knowledge. Knowledge is this. Knowledge is when you experience new things. You obtain knowledge when you experience new things. So one of the goals for your life this week is you experience living life with a giver. And I want to say this, now hear me. Very practical. I want to give you some specific things that you can put Ecclesiastes into play. I want to ask you to try a new restaurant. Grandpa, I said, I want to ask you to try a restaurant that you've not been to before. I'm not giving them my good money. Try something new. Maybe it's a new food. Maybe it's a new food. Maybe it's a new way home. Maybe you say, I know this is faster. I always go this way. Try something new. Experience the life that God has given you. 
And in that, recognize, man, there's going to be emotions that stir up and excitement that's going to stir up. And it's called being alive, but being alive for the purpose of honoring God. Third, it says this, is joy. It says enjoy. Joy is our motivation. It's what we're seeking. So when we're looking at the giver, that's where joy is found. When we look at the gift, it's always dissatisfying to us. When we look at why are we here, it's to please God. Then when we live to please God, that's going to give us joy in this. Let me show you this real quick, if you don't mind. I know we're ready to go. So here's the concept. Um, a couple of, uh, uh, well, actually, yeah, several months ago, I was in a writing phase. And so as I was writing, uh, Tina, and Tina is a, she is a big-time uh, black coffee drinker, all right? Tina drinks black coffee. How is she drinking? She drinks it black, all right? She drinks it solid black, all right? And we were going through uh, Starbucks or, or some kind of coffee shop like that, and we placed our order. And I remember, uh, is it barista? Am I saying that? Barista? It's a, we're, the barista, all right, said, would you like for us to save some room for, coffee, uh, for, for creamer and sugar? And what I heard, because uh, I was raised by my daddy, you mean you want me to pay you the same price, but you're going to intentionally give me less coffee. Is that, does that make sense? Is that how that happened? Yeah, yeah, don't fill it up. I want to pay you the same amount for a full cup, right? And so I got to thinking about that a lot, you know, and, and a couple of months ago as I was writing, Tina, um, uh, she, she kept telling me, she, you should try coffee. Because coffee is going to keep you awake, right? It's going to taste like dirt. It's going to be a lot of stuff, a lot of good things. But you should try coffee. And I said, I can't drink that, all right? Because I just, you know, uh, I, I, just, I just rather lick my dog, all right? All right? Because that's what it tastes like to me, all right? So she introduced this to me. She said, well, hey, why don't we get you some creamer? And I was like, creamer? That's just, that stuff tastes like chalk. So it's like putting chalk on my dog. And so what we found, hey, get this. Now what I found is this. There's flavored creamer. There's flavor creamer. And one of the things that I'm trying to do this summer and trying to adjust since I'm, I'm getting out of the writing phase and everything like that, what I've tried to do is this. I want to be more efficient. All right? I want to be more efficient. So she got me drinking coffee. And what I decided is this. I've learned how to be more efficient. I always hate the whole concept of, uh, pour the coffee, add the creamer, get a spoon, stir it, and you got to wash that spoon. So here's what I do. Empty cup, all right? Easy thing right here. Just is, they say a, a tablespoon is a serving. So and I don't want to pull out a measuring cup. That's about a tablespoon right there, right? Is that about a tablespoon? That's about a tablespoon right there, right? So now what happens is this, all right? Tim, what happens? You with me? So now, Tim, I'm going to pour my coffee on top of that, I don't want too much. I don't want to stay up all night, all right? And see, what it did is it just started there together. See how efficient that was, Trent? It just started all together, right? Now, I'm not sure there. I want to top it off just a little bit, just to make sure it looks all right, all right? Now, I got to tell you guys, I'm a coffee drinker. I mean, I want, because what I've done there, what I've done there, and I still got room for creamer and sugar at the top. You see that? Here's the good stuff. You ready? What hit me here is this. I feel like as Christians, can I tell you, as I'm reading Ecclesiastes this week, I feel like we're constantly trying to save a little bit of room in our lives, or important, just a little bit of God. Just add just a little bit of it. Just add a little bit of it to our marriage, right? Or maybe if we, maybe if we did a devotion, or maybe if we did one of those studies, maybe that'd make our marriage, marriage better, we try to add a little bit of God, just a little bit of God to our work. Well, well, well maybe if I told them where I go to church. You know? And can I tell you, we've missed it. I mean, we've missed it. The point in life is not that we would insert a little bit of God into it here and there and that God would just be the additive for us. But can I tell you, the sweet stuff of life is that I have a personal relationship with God. I mean, I've been invited through Jesus Christ to have a personal relationship with God. And so now as I'm living, my God never changes. He never moves in any kind of way, in a way that's going to be unsettling or indifferent for me. My God is always inviting me and drawing me into closer fellowship with him. He's calling me to love him. He's calling me to live for him. He's calling me to know him more than I've ever known him before. And I would never be able to explore the depths and riches, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, never be able to explore the depths and riches of my God. And yet, a 
bank account. Despair. Anger. Well, yeah, but my, my circumstances. Despair and anger. Listen, can I tell you? Quit looking at the wrong goal. The goal for us is that we would know God and live this life right here like it is for Him. And all that stuff that we said, well, what, what about investing in others? Live for God and let Him lead you. In your marriage, live for God. Let Him heal you. But in our parenting, hey, don't try to throw a little God at them. Y'all ever try to throw a little God at teenagers? I've done that before. They throw it back at you. What you want to do here is this. You want to say, hey, in my, in my parenting, I just want to love Jesus. I just want to live for Him and let Him be the center of my pursuit. Let Him be the heartbeat of all that I'm going after. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, as we come to you today, we thank you so much. You're it. You're exactly what we've been looking for, exactly what we've been striving after. You are exactly what fills that void that's in our lives, God. Protect us from chasing the wind. Protect us from chasing the wind. Lord, I, I'm, I'm convicted there's, there's someone here today and they're putting on a really good show and they're chasing with their careers or chasing with their relationships or chasing with their everything what they know to be the wind and they feel today empty inside and they're scared today to admit that to confess that they know that people would be surprised to hear them become honest. Lord, I pray that in this very moment you would touch their hearts. You would draw them to you. And Lord, let them be consumed with this idea of living for you, knowing you, walking with you, trusting you, seeing you be their God. Lord, I pray that for each of us, you would fill us up with just the goodness of knowing you and living for you. Lord, it's these things we pray in your holy name.